Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast about that time of life that tends to take us all by surprise. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Let's get right into it. So welcome and thank you for talking to me. Do you know what's really amazing? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you before you say anything. What's really amazing is when I spoke to you the other week and we tried to connect a few times and we kept missing each other. And I think a couple of days before I spoke to you, a friend of mine had said, oh, yeah, I want to talk on the podcast about being in a domestic violence situation and how difficult it is to get out of it. And then two Mm -hmm. days later, I talked to you and you go, oh, yeah, nutrition and releasing trauma from the body. And then over the next three days, there was two other people who contact me and who I'm also going to be talking to that are also involved in the same thing. So like December. End of November, beginning of December is now my trauma and releasing all of that distress from your body kind of thing. It's just like it was just weird how it happened. The universe does that to you sometimes. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah thanks, so. So th- thanks for having me, Karen. I think that with my what you just said is a reflection of my, I guess, my history in the health industry is that finally we're coming to realise is that how we connect socially and how safe we feel has a massive like effect on how we eat, where we eat, what we eat, how we digest, how we sleep, but even how we connect to those people around us. And they're the types of things that really nourish us. So emotional health is, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that more people are talking about it because it's so significant. Yeah. I think it's something, that's what everybody said because I've had conversations before we recorded with everybody And everybody said the big thing, the number one thing to do is to talk about it, to not keep Mm -hmm. it hidden inside, to not keep it bottled up inside. Even if, and here's the thing, like we were just talking before we started recording about parenting. You're a single parent. You've got a 12-year-old. You've got a toddler. And it's really hard work dealing Mm -hmm. with that. And we do as parents, and particularly if you're a single parent, we, we kind of spend our entire lives right up the edge of breakdown like we, mm. we're at that tipping point all the time because we've got to keep going there's no let up it, it can be really difficult and looking after ourselves tends to take second place because there's always something to do with the kids so it's not necessarily if you're just in like a, a really toxic situation at work or if you're in um, an abusive relationship of any kind it can just be life in general, can't it, that we build up Absolutely. this, like, stress and trauma. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so easily easy to be overwhelmed and try and think you have to keep up and try and have the perfect home or the relationships or, you know, running the kids around to all these commitments and it can be really easy to be triggered. But there's something, there's something really powerful to that statement, happy wife, happy life. Have you, yeah. So in when I work for myself, I know that if I'm in a good state and I'm constantly watching it, I'm so much more fun for the kids. I make better decisions. I can slow things down and I can pick and choose and go, you know what? I'm not, I don't, I don't particularly care that the house is a mess today or you, you just can seem to identify your priorities a lot better when you stop and you can consciously choose not to go there with the stress response. And when I'm teaching my, you know, coaching new mums especially, the environment, so everybody else, everybody's health in the household is really affected by the state of mum's nervous system. 
if she is bound up and she is um, worried and she's concerned and she's this and she's that and she's not taking care of herself, you know, it, it's not, you, you can feel it in the air. But when you can try and work backwards and put yourself first, it's incredible the, the ripple effects of that. But as a mum, there's some, something really icky about that sense of I should put myself first. It can take quite a while to get your head around it to think, oh, that's quite selfish, but no. It's a really smart way to run your own system and our little little ones pick up on it, our partners pick up on it, people pick it up in the work areas. So, yeah, becoming selfish is a beautiful health tool. <laughs> it, it's like somebody I was talking to the other day said it took her years as a parent to grasp the concept behind when you're on a plane and the masks drop down and they say put your own mask on before you see to anybody else. She yeah. said, don't be ridiculous. I would not do that. I've got to take care of my children first. She said, and it was only when, you know, eight, ten years later, she went, oh, I get it. If I haven't yeah. got oxygen, I'm going to be flat out on the floor unconscious before I've finished sorting that out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. There was that brought to mind a client of mine who I met many, many years ago, and she was talking about, she, I think she was a mother to six and she got chronically ill and so she had to really learn like learn that the hard way but we were talking in those later stages and when things were getting really hairy for her she said to me I just want to be if something happens to me and my my six children don't have me around I would prefer them to remember me as being fun than really well organized or the woman who had the car the home the business whatever else and so then she started to really piece together that, that component of her personality that she really wanted her children to take with her so that mum wasn't always bogged down and stressed and heavy and rigid. So that, you know, that experience was, helps me from day to day just to go, you know what, okay, let's choose fun first before the stress. <laughs> Doesn't always work. But, you know, like just is that constant reminder that uh, I'm doing my best, as we were talking about earlier, like just day to day, just doing your best and making decisions as you can. And just, you know, I'm sure one day when I come out of this parenting tunnel, (laughs) it'll be like, okay, well, at least my priorities, you know, like my children had a soft, playful environment. We were healthy. We were connected. And they're the most important things, you know, it's a great foundation for our relationships. Yeah. It's really interesting. I So when I started off the podcast, I was doing a fair amount of talking of myself. One day I woke up and I came up with this genius idea or so I thought, you know, when you have one of those ideas, you think, oh, that's brilliant. And then you tell everybody and you put it into action and you, went, and you go, this isn't exactly what I had in mind. But what I, I came up with was I'm going to ask each of the three older children what their thoughts are on my parenting style as they were growing up and ask me questions. Why did I do this? Why didn't I do that? And it was really interesting what they came up with because it wouldn't have been what I thought they would have remembered or what I thought would have been important to them. So it was a really fascinating look at how Mm. they perceived my uh, role as a parent. Yeah, it mm. was it was really interest. It's a really interesting exercise, and it was also interest- interesting that my youngest one, who was sixteen at the time, 
She said, I asked her, I said, did you want to have a chat about it? She said, don't be ridiculous, mum. With all of the aplomb that a 16-year-old can do, don't be ridiculous, mum. I'm still in the middle of it. There is no way I can talk about it without being completely subjective. Okay. All right. So it's it's really fascinating that the, the and, and the point I'm trying to make is the stuff we fret about and the stuff we focus on, which tends to be the things we've done wrong or where mm. our children have been upset by something that's happened and we haven't been able to make it better or, you know, stuff like that tends not mm. to be the stuff that is actually important to them in the long run. So absolutely, I think, I think they get if you're doing your best. Yeah, but, yeah. And that's, that's a great thing, like all about perception and choice. It, that's a great, our perceptions and our choices nourish us. So mm-hmm. we can, if we can harness that ability to go, all right, I know that, I know that I'm eating well and I'm sleeping well and I can sense and feel things. When there is some kind of perceived danger or stress, whether it's a, a car about to hit you or if it's an exam or if it's a bill that comes in or if it's a, an expectation within a friendship you have that choice to stop and pause and not let this crazy nervous system override all that and make it worse than it is. So that's probably something that I think I'd really love women to mostly take hold of because we are these like, where are these superheroes? We have all this extra sensory ability because that's how, that's what makes us different from men. We can sense and feel so much more. So we also have the ability, we can affect everything around us by stopping and choosing how we want to react to that. And the beautiful thing is, is that if we were to check the blood, it actually drops our cortisol. So therefore we metabolize our hormones better. We sleep better. We don't crave really high sugar foods. You know, so just just being able to switch from that fight or flight or in your perceived sense of danger if you can stop and notice it and make the choice not to go there <laughs> to be you know to really stop and choose your reaction or your perception what the effect in the body chemically is beautiful it sends your body into this natural healing process of dropping cortisol metabolizing your hormones better and you just make better decisions with your words <laughs> the food you choose how much self-care you can give yourself. Yeah, because you're feeling, I guess, clearer. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Where I was going to go with that then was you said it makes you choose better food or something along those lines. Mm. That's an interesting comment. Do you actually choose worse foods that are worse for you when you're more stressed? Oh, absolutely. So, so. Think of the nervous system as uh, fight or flight, okay? So going back thousands of years, our, our brains are set up so that we can sense danger really quickly. So we sense it through our eyes. We're scanning around our ears. The, the, you know, the eardrums are always sensing for danger. Our sense of smell to react quickly. Uh, the, you know, the temperature. All, like the whole body system is constantly look, on the lookout for danger. The opposite to that so that's one fuel type in the body. The opposite to that is our body's um, parasympathetic system. And that is all about being able to rest, digest our food, detox and heal. 
Okay. So you either, you can't be doing two things at the same time. You're either in this mode or you can switch easy and be in the other mode. So there's, you know, if I'm, I'm, I got a bit distracted there. Just for example, you and I have been out camping all week and all we've eaten is healthy plant foods, a little bit of meat, really help eating the most perfect diet possible. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden we sense something around us and we're about to be attacked and we're attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or, you know, like a dinosaur or whatever it was. If, if we were to test um, your blood sugar at that time, we would get a reading as if we'd just eaten a candy bar, a chocolate bar, because your body, to, for us to make that reaction and get the hell out of there, because that's what our brain's telling us, this is what all the information's giving us, get the hell out of there and quick, it shuts everything down and it goes into our internal system to pull the sugar out. And so you get a big enough hit within the blood to get you out of there. So it doesn't, so therefore the body can make its own blood sugar if you're under stress. And the, the funny thing is, is that you then intuitively crave the quick sugar foods to keep you going and going, 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 if you can't shut that off. So the way you manage your stress has a massive impact on your blood sugar and your, your cravings. It's interesting when I talk to people about eating in the car. So we assume that when we sit and we're eating perhaps in the car, we don't realise we're in fight or flight mode, okay? Our eyes are working hard because we're, we're looking around, we're looking in all the different the mirrors. Our ears are working because we're listening for perhaps car horns or whatever else going on. At the same time, our nose as well. Like we can sense if there's an odd smell coming maybe from the engine or something that's just passed you. Our skin senses the temperature in the car. You know, you just be driving along and think, oh, I might just wear it in the window, it's a bit hot. So all these senses are working to keep us safe and comfortable. So therefore, not no blood is going to the belly to prepare it to digest our food. Okay, so you're really in... Di- the worst place to eat is probably in the car while you're driving because our tummies need about 500 mils of blood to go there to get enough activity going to get the best out of your digestion okay so that's an example of we need to slow down and to get the best out of our food we need to switch from that fight or flight into no I'm sitting and allowing all the blood to go where it needs I can turn off all these senses because I feel safe I'm not going to be attacked but I can sit and let the digestion process happen so that's an example of either being um, in fight or flight or being in rest and digest. So I hope that kind of makes sense as far as... Yeah, that body, was great. Our bodies are either telling us to react and respond or to stop, soften, digest, absorb. And even So in sleep mode, hopefully when we get enough deep sleep, our bodies have this beautiful ability to clean up. Like there's a there's a lymphatic system in your brain that cleans all the junk up. And it's just a lifestyle thing that we, we're not experiencing that depth of sleep because we have so much trouble. We spend so much time in fight and flight and not enough time in choosing and being aware 
of what gets us into the rest and digest. Actually, that's something I'd I'd go off on a little bit of a tangent because I do want to come back to your story and how you ended up specialising in what you Mm. specialise in, if that's okay with you. That's fine, yeah. But, like, I've struggled and I know a lot, there's a high proportion of menopausal women, you know, going through perimenopause and a few years after you've actually gone through menopause, struggle in getting deep sleep because your hormones are up down and all over the place and that's been my problem and I know a friend of mine said when I first started with with the sleepless thing I think I've been not sleep having sleepless uh, sleep problems for about three years at that point she said even about 10 years she said I got about four hours sleep a night for a good 10 years and Mm. so that's a widespread thing and I eat a healthy diet I mean I, you know, I have lived off adrenaline. You know, I've got four kids. We got businesses. We went through a, a bankruptcy, and all sorts of things happened. But I think sort of the culminate the, or the accumulation of years of stress, and then all the other external stuff, and moving across the country, and going through perimenopause at the same time. Wow! I've had so many issues with not getting deep sleep and I know that fuzzy headed brain thing that's the cause of the you're not getting enough deep sleep because it's not actually clearing out your brain clearing all the toxins and everything out of your brain so it's (laughs) it's kind of like this is really gross but it's kind of like never allowing your brain to go to the toilet basically it's just all hanging in there that it's just getting stuffier and stuffier in there absolutely so what would you suggest in terms of what people can do is there stuff you can eat how can you change your diet to help mm. over- overcome that and support your body well there's i'm more passionate about where we eat how we eat before we even look at what to eat right, because okay. all that stuff has amazing potential for you to intuitively choose what you need so so i'm going to use you as, as an example so there are two, there's like a highway in your body and there's a massive nerve that runs from the brain, wraps around the front of the face, goes in and attaches to the heart, the lungs, the stomach, you know, the serve every, everywhere. It's called the vagus nerve. And on this super highway, the messages are either coming up to the brain to tell the brain exactly what's going on. So it's delivering messages to the brain about performance, okay? So it's all these calculations back to the brain. The other part of that vagus nerve is sending messages about the status of cleaning, renewing, and those types of messages. So the it's called the parasympathetic nervous system. So the ability to rest, digest, detox, and heal. So, for example, you've just described that massive amount of traumatic time for yourself with the move and hormonal changes and the bankrupt, you know, you were in this mode of constant stress turned on, constant, 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 constant. So this, all these messages were coming up to the brain and giving these constant alerts and updates. What then happens with the vagus nerve on this side is it gets very weak. The vagal tone gets very soft and weak. And so your body gets worse, uh, well, gets weaker and weaker at under, like delivering all those messages about resting digesting detoxing and healing so my answer to you is what can we do you need to strengthen that vagus tone on this side 
And the beautiful thing is, is that it's really easy to do and it doesn't cost any money. But we have to realise that if, if that tone of that nerve gets very, very weak, then we won't sleep well. We won't get rid of the junk at night while we sleep. We're not getting the correct messages about the state of the pancreas or the kidneys, you know, like the, 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 the information that's coming back up to the brain isn't accurate. So doing vagus nerve exercises will help strengthen that. And that's all about activating. The, close, the closest place that the vagus nerve comes to the body is right here um, behind the earlobe. So if you're wearing earrings, directly where the earlobe will touch the neck. And that's, what, that's the closest place you can act, actually activate it. So by singing and humming and gargling, they're really powerful ways to activate that vagus nerve, okay? Which side do you activate it on or both sides? Both sides. Right. Um, however, the vagus nerve competes for space there because the lymphatic system and, you know, this exchange between the heart and the brain. And uh, so have a think about where the tonsils sit in the back of the throat. Um, the tonsils are like the toilet for the brain that area so if you've got the best way I can summarize it if you've got any health issues from here to here then your vagus nerve is going to be really hard to activate and strengthen so you know doing some lymphatic drainage on the neck because it's quite easy to stimulate the nerve from here making sure that your oral health is the best it can be if you've had problems with the tonsils you might want to get it looked at you might want to do regular mouth gargling of the, of the morning. Um, even splashing the face with cold water of the morning, that's enough. The cold temperature is enough to trigger all these, the vagus nerve that comes out through the, you know, the eyes, the sinuses, the, the mouth and the throat. And it's really interesting, the, the people I've worked with who have gone through extreme trauma, they often lose their voice for a while or they feel socially challenge to speak because that there is a there is a, a physiological something happening in this area that affects their speech or they're they're wanting to speak and communicate there's just like this but the physiological thing is it's this little nerve that is weak and it needs strengthening again the other powerful way to keep it strong forever is breathing and I know our doctors aren't going to like that because it doesn't cost us anything. But a lot of us, I think maybe because we're told to keep our tummies in, we get caught up in this strange way of breathing. But the best way to stimulate and keep that vagus nerve strong is to breathe properly. Who would have thought? So, you know, your, your tummy should come out because when it's coming out, you you're physically touching that nerve and strengthening the nerve. If you breathe into your heart, you're actually lifting the heart and it's actually stimulating the nerve as well. So if you take, if you really slow down the exhale, it's like you're giving the vagus nerve a workout. You're strengthening it. So, you know, if you're going through a particularly challenging time, with all those scenarios that you've just mentioned, your body's in fight and flight and you think you're under attack, 
it's really, really hard. This, um, the vagus nerve softening, digesting, your self-healing mechanism weakens. So my, my answer to you is do those simple things like when you wake up in the morning, splash your face with cold water to stimulate that nerve, do exercises and really concentrate on any health issues you have from here down to here. Do the um, lymphatic drainage. There is a woman in the States who does like a little detox with clove oil. You just pop a bit of clove oil just behind that ear there and it's like a little gentle detox for that nerve and really activating the breath to continuously strengthen that nerve. And, you know, it's interesting when we stop and take a breath there are all types of different breathing techniques going around. They're all fantastic, but what it's doing is it's getting you using that natural breathing rhythm that you might have forgotten how to do. We don't want to be breathing from our shoulders. We want it to be coming up from the belly. And that is dropping cortisol. It's re-triggering and strengthening that nerve so that when you go to sleep at night, your brain detoxes properly, the lymphatic flows out. Yeah, there are just so many benefits from having a strong vagus nerve. And not a lot of people talk about it. No, I only found out about the vagus nerve about five years ago when I took my daughter to see a craniosacral uh, specialist because she'd had some serious head injuries and he was just like realigning her. And he said, you, you know, you've got to focus on your vagus nerve. I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm. it's not common knowledge but it it needs to be common knowledge and what you were saying just then about the the breathing out long uh, you know long and slow and and strongly that explains why because I've always been a swimmer and when I get really stressed Mm. out my husband said go swimming just go swimming because it's a sharp intake of breath and then a long slow exhale that makes Mm. sense now so I'm just I'm like my brain switches off because I'm just following the line or I'm following Mm. the line on the roof you know and I come Mm. out of the pool brain's cleared and I feel so much more grounded and it's obviously Mm. because of that because of the the Mm. breathing as much as anything so people say meditation is the, is the way to go, but a lot of people can't meditate. But if they can find a way to just concentrate on pushing the belly out and taking the full breath, you know, and finding a rhythm with that, when you combine movement with it, so like swimming or dancing or doing even like Tai Chi style of movements or yoga, soon um, you won't even have to think about it. Your body, there's a natural override. So when you're exercising or moving while doing that body movement, it's automatic. It comes back to you. Yeah. So, so, so powerful. But I think that from from a beauty stance and from the media and probably lots of different influences, we're quite mindful to keep the belly sucked in and our posture and things so that it's really quite easy to be thrown out with our natural breathing style. But a great tool for parents or grandparents, when you're sitting at the dinner table with their kids, just notice where they're breathing from. So, you know, you can, you can, if, if a little one's being impacted by trauma, whether it be social or physical or environmental, you can see something's, something's up, something's not right. If they're breathing from their shoulders and you can see their shoulders moving up and down. That's a really powerful trigger for a parent to go, well, okay, cool. We're going to don't, even if you have to download an app and do some playful kind of meditation or breathing at night just to help 
them to trigger this powerful nerve, you know, such a better tool than having to get medication or, you know, think that you need to spend a fortune and spend all this time preparing special meals and everything else. It's just like, no, if we take hold of these really simple things, then we get back to, okay, what should I eat? Yeah. Right. So the primarily the, the primarily thing the primary thing is to take care of ourselves first and pay attention to our bodies, and then the nutrition mm. kind of falls into place. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like if you can. So even what we spoke about originally was this emotional release and talking about our emotions. Have a think about a moment when you felt jealous, for example. So if we go back and we think about this experience and we close our eyes, 90% of people will tell me that that feeling becomes alive in their tummy, that gut sensation, the gut memory. So that's just a powerful little example to say that we really need to digest our emotions more regularly and better, okay, because it does have an impact, it has a physical impact on us. When we're feeling scared, when we open up an unexpected bill, (laughs) when we have a fight with a friend or when we've got to deliver bad news, if you you sit and quiet and you're honest with yourself, that feeling is alive. It's not alive up here. It's alive in your tummy, the gut. So it's really important that daily or weekly or whatever system that you have that you're honouring whatever it is that feeling is, you're digesting it, okay? So you don't want to sit in it too long, but then you then you need to get rid of it. It's just like, it's just like going to McDonald's, okay? Like going, oh, shit, I'm just going to drive through quickly and I know it's not that great, but whatever. Same with your feelings. You're like, oh, I feel angry. I feel, I feel really jealous or I feel this or that. You know, honour it and go, yeah, that's what I'm feeling right now. But you need to then get rid of it and replace it with something that's not going to have that effect on your tummy. Don't, don't rob yourself by letting that feeling stay in the belly too long because it has a big implication on the hormones, on the way you sleep, on the way you digest. So the better you can, the more often you can digest the emotions, the far better your health will be. And But something us women need to teach our little ones too. You know, yes, we sense and feel more. It's okay to cry. If you were to test the tear, if you, if you were to test the tears coming out, you will see that there there are hormones in there that need to be released and detoxed out. It's a beautiful little mechanism for clearing out emotion. Not something that our men are great at, but yeah, it's just like better out than in. <laughs> That's a really good point that you're making because you know I know a few people who you know they. I knew one friend who she always talked about forgiveness, but it was kind of like, to me, it landed like she was masking and just, oh, well, I forgive them for doing that. But she wasn't actually forgiving them. She was just kind of stuffing it down, you know, and not actually Mm -hmm. acknowledging it. So there's a difference. and, And I think that's a key point. You know, you've got to acknowledge what's going on and be really honest because we are human we're going to feel really resentful and really cheesed off and really jealous and everything else and that old saying what you resist persists because Mm -hmm. you're not actually acknowledging it and just letting it go that 
the forgiveness that she was talking about didn't, to me, release everything. It just kind of made her, oh, how can I say it? It just, she just said, oh, yes, I'm forgiving it. I'm, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm forgiving, as opposed to going, you know what, I'm really cheesed. She's, she's really cheesed me off and I feel really this, really that. And, okay, let's release it and talk about it and be honest with ourselves rather mm-hmm. than just putting on this nice, I'm a nice person. Yeah. It's almost like that selfish thing again. Like we have to stop and honour ourselves. And there's been a couple of moments where I've held back with my son if I'm having a shit day. And there's been a couple of times where I've absolutely lost it and I've just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I thought, you know what? No, he needs to see me actually honour these feelings. I know I'll come out of it, but for that moment, I just needed to go, you know what? I'm so overwhelmed and the best way for my body to get rid of it is through tears. And I have to coach him and say, don't, it's not me feeling sorry for myself. It's not me being playing the victim. It's me going, I feel shit. And I'm just going to do what it takes to run it out. Don't be upset. Don't be afraid. I'll do my thing and then I'll get on with it. And so he's been able to see me a couple of times do that. And I think that the more I can show both of them that I, I can put my hand up and go, yeah, things aren't great. I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I can't make good decisions right now, I need to, some time to myself, that's more nourishing sometimes than what I serve them for dinner. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm kind of, oh, I don't know. So when, when I was in the middle of all that stuff going on, because I've, I handle a lot, I'm one of those people that just get organised, just get on with it, and there was one day my daughter my eldest daughter she's 21 now she said something I don't know what happened but it was just the final straw she said and you just slid down the cupboard in the kitchen and sat on the floor sobbing and she said at first I was really frightened because I didn't know what to do because mum's always known what to do mum's always been in control she's always known everything she's and there you were on the floor she said and then I went well, no, because I can do something for her now. What can I do? So it kind of, there was like a real dichotomy of feelings for her, you know, like horror and terror on one side and sympathy and like she could step up and into place, you know. It was so, it was really interesting. And I felt so guilty for years. Giving back some of the support that you've always given her. That's right, yeah. So our relationship changed. It completely yeah. changed in that moment and it went from being just me as the parent knowing everything to more of an even one. I'm still the parent and I always will be, but she can contribute to me and she knows that now, yeah. you know. That's, it's really interesting timing that you've brought that up. Because I've, is it today or was it yesterday that was the International Day of Kindness or...? I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it was over the last few days, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So kindness has been studied at Harvard University for some quite some time now. And just this week I was listening to a lecture of a particular Indian doctor. I'll send it to you so that in the show notes you can pop it in there. So he he's a, a medically trained doctor. His specialty is stage four cancer, cancer clients, patients. Anyway, so he, he teaches all these things about grounding the body. He teaches about the breath and that's the powerful thing for them to actually 
get their body to start self-healing along like being complimented by all modern technology of course but the final thing that he gets really 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 particular with is they all have to do a daily act of kindness and so when he first started presenting this to all the the big conferences for the doctors of course he got so much crap for it just going all this woo-woo stuff but when you look at when you perform an act of kindness for someone when we test the stress response your cortisol, cortisol levels drop so quickly, so significantly. And the way he describes it is going back again, you know, in an era where you and I and our two friends would be sitting towards each other, I had to look this way to look out for danger. You had to look this way. We all had our back. We had to sit and safely eat and then sleep. We had to, you know, we had to sense and feel for our safety. We are always looking for safety. So, of course, as you know, we, we need to co-regulate for that feeling of safety. So the, the best way he described it is, of course, I'm going to do an act of kindness for you so that in the event of danger, you're going to have my back. You're going to love and appreciate me more because I've, I've got this, tr- this history of, keep, of doing these acts of kindness. So it's like a social bond that therefore results in us, our nervous system feeling safe and things like cortisol don't affect us because we've got that history. So that that's kind of like the science that the Harvard University have been trying to prove, like these acts of kindness, the cascade effect with lowering cortisol and strengthening social bonds. Once our social bonds are secure, it's amazing how well this system works because we're social creatures. We're supposed to co-regulate we shouldn't be trying to regulate on our own. It should be like a, a mutual thing. I'll hold space for you. You hold space for me. Hmm. Well, that's really fascinating. So the, the, because it, and it, it kind of aligns with my experience of going through menopause. The big missing is community. The big missing is you know, we're all nuclear families. I'd moved around halfway across the world. You know, my family's all back in England. I'm in Australia. And mm. I haven't got that connection with older women that I trust or, you know, I've got lots of friends, but it's kind of like all of the, we talk about women's, women's problems, women's issues, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of, well, the older generation, not so much mine and younger, but that's the kind of experience. There's not that community where we feel free to share and be open about our concerns, about our worries, about our hopes. We, we don't have that because it's about doing everything yourself. You know, you raise your mm. children yourself, you sort your life out yourself, you be independent, you be strong. And it's like, well, we're stronger in a community. We need to talk. Yeah. And that aligns with what you've just said. Being solo keeps you in that fight or flight, adrenaline, not being metabolised correctly, so it stuffs up all your other hormones, cortisol being way too high, then you get the belly fat. You know, you can't sleep, you can't digest your food, you feel irritable. But switching over into that community focus and that we co-regulate and that we should be respected for sharing and caring and supporting and nourishing each other, that sends your nervous system into this beautiful rest and digest and 
we don't have to pay um, hundreds of dollars, you know, a, a month on fancy supplements. We don't have to spend all this time in the kitchen worrying about, oh, am I cooking the right organic food? Where's it from? Who's, who grew it? You know, like we don't have to go down that track, you know. So my biggest learning when I was going through my health journey, like as a practitioner, was when I was a new mum. So I had no money to spend on the supp- like on the supplements I would usually spend, all the type of food. My husband was in a sport. He was an elite athlete. The prize money was a trophy. Like it was, there was no prize money. And so we had no money. <laughs> I spent all my time and effort, you know, keeping weight on him for events or stripping them off for movie roles or TV roles. And I wanted to stay lean and beautiful and I wanted to nourish this beautiful new child. But all of a sudden I had to change my my viewpoint on how I'm going to achieve that on no budget and pretty much no time. And so I really started delving into, right, bang for your buck, you know, like what's the most, what's the least amount of time and effort and money do I have to spend to keep me healthy? So that was that burning desire to start going, well, that's crap and that's crap and that's crap. And that's led me to, you know, understanding that emotional health is far more important than making sure that your meat is grass-fed, you know, like you've got organic local produce. I mean, that all that is very important, but you need to sort out your emotional health first and your nervous system before you even go there on what to eat. The most important thing is to look after your blood sugar, you know, so you're not going up and down, up and down, up and down. And, again, socially, I don't know if you have, you, have you got a diabetic in your life? Do you have any friends or family members who are diabetic? My brother was diabetic, yeah. Would you say that they're not easy to be around? Yeah. Because of yeah. the highs and lows in blood sugar and temperament? So that's so socially the best way, to, if, if you want to take, if I was to give a tip about what to eat, it's just foods that keep your blood sugar regular so that you're not moody up and down all over the place because socially it's putting a barrier between you and people around you and the decisions that you make uh, and your energy because you're up and you're down and up and you're down. So, and it's just eating regularly. Our adrenal glands just need a constant little, you know, flicker of fuel so that we're not making, we're not running on adrenaline. Okay, so so, so constant fuel, the uh, what do you call it? The intermittent fasting, then that increases your cortisol levels, does it, or does it work for some people? It works for some people. I find it's a personality thing, and it's about how much stress you're going on in your life. Because I mean, I've got a really fast metabolism, and if I tried to if I tried to fast too long, I become frantic. Like it's it's a, it's a stress response for my body to go. I'm starving, I need food, and then I make bad choices. I've got other friends my age, same situation, who thrive off that type of cycling with their food. So I don't think one rule fits everybody. The, the best, if, if you wanted to test it, I would just widen that window of fasting a little bit longer each time that you do it and try and find that point where your body, it, you don't ignite that stress response, like I'm starving, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, so it does, it has its merits. But again, every time when you're not eating, it's giving your body time to heal and for all the systems to work better. So again, depending on what's going on, how late at night that you usually eat, 
I'll, I'll just wrap that up into if you were to ask me from a nutritional point, like a, a traditional question that you would ask a nutritionist, I would say let's work on managing your blood sugar, grazing small bits often as much as you can and have your last meal at sunset so that you've, you've done your most of your digesting so that while your body's hopefully dropping into a deeper sleep state, it can just concentrate on cleaning and not digesting the food or detoxing, you know, the late high sugar meal that you had. So it's just the working on the blood sugars, the grazing, actually sitting and stopping to eat. So don't eat in the car. You know, like our tummies need like half a litre of blood. So that all, you know, so the stomach can work properly and all the messages can get in there with the um, hydrochloric acid and everything else that's needed so that the, the food doesn't pass through too quickly or doesn't hang around too long. So that they're, they're my tips. So to sit, like eating should be this beautiful ritual where we just shut off from the world, give yourself permission to go, my body needs me to stop walking around, stop worrying about my next to-do, just give myself even if it's 15 minutes, just to stop, give your body a chance to take in the nutrients. And, yeah, just the timing of your last meal through the day at around sunset so that when you are in bed and your body's trying to drop into the deep sleep, it's not distracted. It can do its job. And that's the principle of intermittent fasting as well so that you're giving all the systems a chance to do their job the best they can without the distraction of food. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like that was amazing. So basically, and, and to sum up something that landed for me, the best thing was the everything you said goes against the way we live our lives, you know, that you keep going. You don't stop to eat your meals. You just keep going till you hit that wall. And But you're saying the cheapest and the quickest way of changing your health is to to actually take care of yourself make sure that you stop and eat and you stop and breathe that's basically that's basically it and find some way to regularly digest your emotions whether it's maybe writing in a journal calling your sister for a a glass of wine and a cry or (laughs) going for a walk on the beach with a girlfriend or doing some kind of anger release management that could be boxing or Whatever your choice of movement is to, you know, help you digest what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sally. That was amazing. We didn't even get round to your story and how you ended up doing all this. Not really, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But it was it was maybe absolutely next, brilliant. Maybe another time. Yeah. Definitely. So Definitely. I'm in the middle of so with a toddler at home. I've really just been focusing on her, and I haven't got any grand plans for anything specific this month or the following next year I'd really like to bundle this into a little challenge where instead of doing like a weight loss challenge or what like a new year's resolution thing it's all about doing exactly what we've spoken about those rituals to strengthen that nerve so that we can make a choice of switching from fight or flight and perform to the rest and digest and just see like work at these things about how that then affects your weight, how it affects your relationships, how it affects on your focus for your business and that type of thing. So that's something I'm kind of playing around with and looking at. But I think that 
it's great timing because of COVID. Who knows what COVID is going to do for the way we set ourselves up next year, you know. So more than ever, it would be great for these types of teachings to get out so that no matter what's going on with COVID, we have a culture of people going, you know what, I've got control over my nervous system and my immune system. Uh, I'm not going to buy into this rubbish that I need to, that perhaps we might be pushed into. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting year next year. Yeah, that'll be great. Actually, I've got I've got a January thing about not about New Year's resolutions, but about you know changes that you can make in your life. Even things like an art class, how to dress properly, styling, that kind of thing. So it might yeah, fit beautiful. in perfectly with that sort of end of January, beginning of February. Um, yeah, because perfect. that'll be a nice New Year thing, and then you can mm. you can because I know because of everything you got going on in your life, you've not actually got an online presence really or anything to offer people right now. But yeah, I'll put your contact details on the page. But then if you if you can come back, I would love to have you back. By the way, yeah, thank if you, you can come back and yeah. talk, and then you know, hopefully, because people need to know about this stuff, and you're quite right just having a challenge like that can be the first step that people need to making that change and making that difference. So I would love to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm more than happy. I'll condense this down into like a little quick rescue style document as a reminder, but then I'll focus on more of a, an in-depth thing that people can access. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You don't have anything available online at the moment, do you? Am I just talking my bundle? I just, you know, being on my own with the two kids, I just said, you know, when she's, she'll, she'll start a five-day fortnight at kindy oh, at, in the last week of January. And then so I made that decision to myself that, yes, I've been studying and I've been involved and I've been giving workshops, and but I haven't, like, I haven't invested in developing an online presence as such. It was kind of like, yeah, well, that's not my priority right now. Mm-hmm. But come having more freedom, it will be. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. I'm sure about a lot of women here can and can agree with it's just just a matter of timing and cycles. And and from a stress response too, like we have to start making decisions based on what's on our best interest. Yeah. So I could have gone, oh no, I need to keep up and I need to be doing this and need to do that. I actually had to stop and go for the health of myself and my kids. I need to say stop. No, I'm going to dedicate this time to this, and then there'll be that next thing, and then there'll be the next thing. So. Yeah, just honour that gut feeling of, hmm, it's not going to work for my timeline. <laughs> I'll let you get on with it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, Thanks Sally. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks Bye. for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you visit our website, middleagedwomenstuff.com, where you can subscribe to the show in any of the players or via RSS so you'll never miss a thing. If you liked this show, you might want to check out the webpage, which gives you lots more information about both our host and our guest, along with heaps of other resources. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday and Friday for the next episode. And that's all for this episode. We can't wait to see you next time.